Take your copy of God's Word with me this morning and open it up to the book of Numbers, chapter 12. And in a moment, we'll read all 16 verses, starting in verse 1, Numbers, chapter 12, verse 1. Billy Joel is considered one of the greatest singers and songwriters of his generation, known as the Piano Man. He released 13 different albums, has dozens of hits, frequently sings to sold-out crowds all over the world. Over his career, he's earned more than $200 million. But there is something that Billy Joel has not done. He has not released a new song in almost 30 years. Now, you know why that's so? I saw an interview a couple of years ago in which he said that he had not released a new song because he couldn't handle the criticism. In spite of all the success that he's had, and in spite of all the money that he's made, he said it would just eat him up inside if he released a new album or a new song, and the critics hated it. Well, Billy Joel is not the only guy who struggles to deal with criticism. I think we all have to wrestle with this because it has never been easier for critics to criticize about anything and everything. Anybody who has a social media account and an axe to grind can publicize their criticisms in front of the whole world to see. Now, maybe some of you are there right now. There might be some of you here. You feel like that you're just carrying a great big bullseye on your person wherever you go. There may be others of you who, frankly, you're not in a position where you receive a lot of criticism. Now, if that's you, praise the Lord and just wait because your turn will come. Well, in our passage this morning, we are returning to our study of the life of Moses, which we began a year ago. We've been in Exodus, but this morning we're going to be in the book of Numbers. And in Numbers chapter 12, Moses is criticized. And this is not the good kind. This is not constructive criticism. This was unfair, hurtful criticism from two people who were very close to him. And yet, Moses teaches us a clinic on what to do and how to respond when you are unfairly criticized. Now, this morning, we're going to see six things that Moses did and six things that we can do when we are forced to deal with unfair criticism. Most of what I'm going to share with you is pretty practical, but when we get to the end of the message, when we get to the end of this chapter, we are actually going to see in all of this a beautiful, rich picture of the gospel. But how can we respond to Criticism. I want to show you six things because there are six. We're going to move pretty quickly this morning. But first of all, expect to be criticized. 
expect to be criticized. Look at verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. When we were in Exodus, Moses was criticized, it seems, all the time. And yet, who is it who's criticizing Moses this time? This time, it's his big sister, Miriam. And this time, it's his little brother, Aaron. This time, the criticism isn't coming from some stranger. It's coming from his own family. We think about Miriam. She was that little girl when Moses was a newborn baby. And his mama put him in that basket by the bank of the Nile River. She's the one that went to Pharaoh's daughter and said, let me find someone to help you who can nurse him. She's been a part of his life for all of his life. Now, folks, criticism is always more painful when it comes from those you love. But what were they criticizing Moses for? Verse 1 says they spoke against him because he married an Ethiopian woman. Now, I want you to try to imagine how difficult, how hurtful this must have been, his own siblings criticizing him because of who he married. And it's not like they just got married. If this, if this is, in fact, referring to Zipporah, and there's debate, but I personally believe that it is, if this is Zipporah, they've been married around 40 years at this point. So why in the world are they criticizing Moses now? Well, I have a theory. In the chapter before, we have the story of the selection of the 70 elders of Israel. These were important political leaders. Now, I believe that Miriam and Aaron, but especially Miriam, she never did like Moses' wife, Zipporah. And this was, let's call it what it is, a prejudice that she had because she was Ethiopian. And perhaps Miriam believed that Zipporah was a little too influential, that maybe she had too much input in the selection of these 70 elders. Now, if so, that would explain why they said what they said in verse 2. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. In Exodus 15, we're told that indeed Miriam was a prophetess. And of course, Aaron was the, the high priest of Israel. Uh, Miriam and Aaron should have been Moses' greatest defenders, but instead they are his critics. And yet they're not criticizing him because of something that he did wrong. They're criticizing him because they want more power and more influence for themselves. Now, we can expect to be criticized. Moses had to deal with criticism, and you know what, who else had to deal with more criticism than anybody? Jesus. He was criticized for everything. When he was invited to eat a common meal with a common family, what did his critics say? He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. 
When Jesus forgave the tax collector, what did his critics say? He's a friend of sinners. When Jesus healed people on the seventh day, what did his critics say? He broke the Sabbath. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross for your sin and mine, what did his critics say? If you're the Son of God, save yourself and come down. Jesus was always criticized. You can expect to be criticized as well. In fact, let me remind you of what Jesus said in Luke 6, 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. In other words, if nobody's criticizing you, something's wrong. Yes, expect to be criticized. But something else that we can do, choose to humble yourself. Choose to humble yourself. Look at verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. I find it kind of interesting that this statement is placed in this story and at this point in the story. We are told here how humble Moses was so as to explain to us how he responded the way he did, why he did not fight back or defend himself, because he was very humble, and the Bible says, more than anyone else on the earth. And you might think, well, that's not a very humble thing to say. But it was true of Moses. Now, not so true of us. I heard about a preacher who preached a sermon once. He thought it was pretty good. And his ego began to swell and his head get big. And he got so proud of himself. He went home and asked his wife, he said, Honey, how many great preachers do you think there are in the world? She said, One less than you think. <laughs> well, some people think that meekness is weakness. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because it takes more strength more discipline, more self-control for you to humble yourself than it does for you to defend yourself. Now, how did Moses do it? I imagine Moses reminded himself quite often of what he once was, who he used to be, that Moses was a murderer. I imagine he remembered how when God first called him, in Midian, he was just a shepherd. He realized that when God chose him and God used him, it was not because of him, it was in spite of him. And so when a man or a woman will humble themselves before God, do you realize that in that moment of humility, their critics cannot hurt them? And you know why? Because that man or woman who humbles themselves, they already know that they're just a sinner saved by grace. Whatever their critics say about them, they already know that whatever the critics say, were it not for the grace of God, that and even worse would be true. And so the lesson here for us is not 
be like Moses, because none of us are going to be Moses. No, the lesson here for us is the one who lowers himself the most is the one God raises the highest. That's the lesson. The one who lowers himself the most is the one God raises the highest. And this is never more evident than in the life of Jesus who lowered himself from heaven to earth, to the cross, to the tomb. He kept lowering himself, and as a result, God raised him from the grave. And in Philippians 2 says God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what do you do when you are criticized? Well, you choose to humble yourself. But then there's another thing, focus on faithfulness. Focus on faithfulness. Look at verse 4. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out you three to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Now, there's some powerful imagery here that we're going to come back to in a moment. But notice what God said about Moses in verse 6. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. Now, notice that last statement. Miriam and Aaron gave their evaluation of Moses, and now God is giving his evaluation of Moses. God said, he is faithful in all my house. In other words, he's faithful in everything that I've called him to do. Now listen to me. Was he perfect? No. Was he the most talented? No. Did he have the cleanest past? No. But he was faithful. You remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? Jesus said the master gave a different number of talents to three different men, and yet they were all judged on the same basis. They were judged on the basis of faithfulness. To the first two, the master said, you have been faithful in a few things, and I will make you ruler over many. But to the third man, he said, depart from me. Why? Because he was not faithful. And so when you're criticized, and you know in your heart that the criticism isn't fair, I mean, sometimes it is, but you know in your heart that this time the criticism just isn't fair, ask yourself this one question, have I been faithful? Can I say that I have been faithful, that I've been faithful to God, that I have been faithful to his word, that I've been faithful uh, in prayer, that I've been faithful in obedience, that I've been faithful in service? Because if the answer to that question is yes, it matters not if your critics disapprove of you, but if the answer to that question, have I been faithful, is no, it doesn't matter if they do approve of you. 
When you're being criticized and it just doesn't seem fair, focus on faithfulness because that's how God is going to evaluate us. But here's a fourth thing, pursue intimacy with God. When you're criticized, it's never more important to pursue intimacy with God. Most of what God said to Miriam and Aaron, starting in verse 6, had to do with how close Moses was to God. In verse 6, God said, normally when I speak to a prophet, there's a, a dream, there's a vision, but not so with Moses. Notice in verse 8, I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, look at that last question. By the way, a lot of preachers, I believe, uh, take that question completely out of context as if it's always wrong to question leadership. No, that's not the point. This is about the fact that Moses was closer to God than any man or woman on earth. Moses was so close to God, God said, I speak to him face to face. I don't use riddles. I don't play games. Uh, he, he sees the form of the Lord. And I have to say, this is not to be taken literally. Uh, we remember what God said to Moses in Exodus 33. He said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So what does this mean in verse 8? It means that Moses was as close to God as a man can be on this side of heaven. It meant that Moses saw as much of God's glory as a redeemed sinner could possibly take in. And remember, this is what God said about Moses to his critics. This is God saying to them, this is my opinion of Moses and yours doesn't count. You know, some of y'all know that years ago, I used to play the clarinet. My wife's always reminding me to pick it back up again. But years ago, I used to play the clarinet, and uh, I think I was pretty good at it. I made all-state band. Uh, I got a scholarship, helped pay my way through college. Um, uh, so I, I thought I did okay, but there was someone who did not agree. My dog. I had a Shetland sheepdog who every time I would play my clarinet, he would just howl like the wolves. He was not a fan of my clarinet playing, and he did not mind making his opinion known. So you know what I did? I decided that if my professors approved of my playing, and if my wife, who is a band director, if she approved of my playing, <laughs> maybe she does not approve of my playing. Well, I decided if they approved of my playing, it did not matter what my dog thinks. I tell you that because Brothers and sisters, the closer you are to God, the less you're going to care what your critics think. And if you find yourself bent out of shape and you can't function because of something that a critic said, 
You know what that means? That means it's time for you to get alone with God and really start spending time in His presence. And so when you are unfairly criticized, you respond by pursuing intimacy, pursuing closeness with God. Something else that you've got to do when you're criticized, trust God to defend you. Trust God to defend you. Earlier in verse 2, when they criticized Moses, it says at the end of the verse, and the Lord heard it. You know what that means, right? That means, uh uh-oh, you're in trouble. Of course, we know that God hears every word we speak, but the point of the Lord heard it is that God heard it and God was going to respond to it. God was going to do something about it. And by the way, we need to be careful because one day we will have to give an account for every word of criticism we speak. One day God will respond to our criticism of others. So what did God do in verse 4? God called Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. He told them to come to the tabernacle. But when they got to the tabernacle, the Bible says that the cloud descended. Now, you remember, this cloud by which God made his presence known, that cloud by which God led them out of Egypt and into the promised land, the Bible says something amazing happened. That cloud representing the presence of the Lord, it came down right there to the doorway of the tabernacle. Moses could enter in, but Miriam and Aaron could not. Now, the symbolism here is very powerful. God revealed his presence in that cloud, and it's as if God literally put himself in between Moses and his critics. As if to say, if you want to attack Moses, you've got to go through me. But that's not all. Look at verse 9. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. I hope none of you are thinking right now, oh, I wish every person who criticized me turned into a leper. Well, the Bible says that the cloud ascended, God departed, and when he did, all of a sudden, Miriam was a leper. Now, Miriam is the one who became a leper, probably because she was the main instigator here. You notice her name was mentioned first, back in verse 1. I think God allowed her to become a leper so that her outer appearance would equal what God looked at when he saw the appearance of her heart. But once again, God defended Moses. And likewise, when people criticize you and criticize you unfairly, trust God to defend you. God knows how to defend you better than you know how to defend yourself. And I said this many times, I'll say it again. If you take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. Take care of your character. Let him take care of your reputation. Trust God to defend you. One more thing 
And for some of you, this might be the hardest one of all. When you are criticized, pray for your critic. Look at verse 11. So Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Moses prayed for Miriam. In fact, the Bible says he cried out to the Lord. He didn't just pray. He didn't just go through the motions. This is fervent prayer. This is passionate prayer. And yes, as we'll see in a moment, God answered his prayer affirmatively and God healed her. Now, maybe some of you, because of your work, because of your business, because of your place of service, maybe you're at a place where you're open to criticism more so than others. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been stung by what some critics said. If that's you, let me ask you this question. Have you prayed for your critic? Have you really, really prayed for your critic? Because when you pray for that person, something powerful happens. First of all, God intervenes, and God in his time will cause the truth to come out. But something else happens to you. Something powerful happens to you. All of a sudden, your attitude changes, and you have peace. You have joy in spite of all the criticism. Moses responded to criticism by doing all these things, including praying for his critic. Now, these are all things that every child of God can do as well. I told you, however, at the beginning of this message that when we came to the end of the chapter, we were also going to see in this a beautiful picture of the gospel. You might be wondering, what does a story about criticism have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to go back to this statement that Aaron made in verse 11. And let me remind you, Aaron was the high priest. And so he's using priestly language. He knows that they've sinned. He knows that their sin must be atoned for. And so he says in verse 11, please do not lay this sin on us. I want you to think about that statement. Please do not lay this sin on us. He knows as a priest that it must be laid upon someone. So he prays that his sin and the punishment for this sin would be taken off of them and placed onto another. You realize that's exactly what Jesus did for us. When he died on the cross and our sin, all the things we've done that we should not have done, was placed upon him and he took our punishment. Notice what God said to Moses after he prayed for Miriam in verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? In other words, if she had done something that was dishonoring to the family, that is what would have happened. That would have been the result. Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp 
How many days? Seven days. Hold that thought. Seven days. And the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Now, to make a long story short, God healed Miriam, but she had to wait outside of the camp, apart from the people, for seven days. Why is that? Why seven days? Well, I'm not going to turn there. You can read it on your own later if you want. But in the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14, there are two entire chapters full of rules and laws that God gave to Israel about how to deal with lepers. Did you know that? All these rules about what to do with a leper, even rules about what you're supposed to do when God heals a leper. You remember that time Jesus healed the leper and after he healed him, you remember what he told him to do? Go to the temple. Show yourself to the priest so that the law can be fulfilled. Jesus was pointing that man to Leviticus 13 and 14. Well, what did the law tell them to do? When a person had been healed of leprosy, they would go before the priest and the priest would inspect them closely to make sure that all of the leprosy was gone. And then they would sacrifice two birds. Or excuse me, they presented two birds. One of the two birds was sacrificed The other bird was immersed in the blood of the one that had been sacrificed, and the one that was covered in the blood was set free. I don't know, gee, does that sound familiar like any story that you've ever heard at church in your entire life before? I think so. And that former leper was told to wait outside the camp for seven days in order to prove that the healing was for real, that the leprosy did not come back. That's what God said Miriam must do. They waited outside for seven days to prove that the healing was for real. Now, you know why God made them do all of that? Why they had to sacrifice a bird and dip the other bird in the blood of the other bird? Why they had to do all that? Because in the Bible, leprosy is repeatedly a symbol for sin. Leprosy is presented as a symbol for sin. You see, I've talked to you today about how to respond to criticism, and that's practical and that's good, and we can do those things. But there's one thing about this story I want to make very clear. When we read this story, we need to remember something. In this story, we are not Moses. In this story, we are Miriam and Aaron. We're the ones who are guilty. Miriam was covered in leprosy, just as we were covered in sin. Miriam could not save herself. We could not save ourselves. Miriam needed a Savior. We need a Savior 
Blood was shed for Miriam. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for us. And Miriam was set free by way of a sacrifice. And likewise, Jesus came from heaven to earth, offered himself as our sacrifice so that through him we can be set free. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. That though we were like Miriam, we were stricken, we were unable to save ourselves, there was a sacrifice, not of a bird, but of the perfect sinless Son of God, that Jesus took our sin, that it was placed upon himself. and He took the punishment upon himself so that we could be set free. And so, God, we thank you for this. And, Lord, we know that most people in this room, at some point in their lives, they're going to face criticism, and it's never pleasant. But help us, Lord, in those moments, especially when it's not fair, to remember these things and to put into practice all these things that we've talked about today. God, that you would help us to pray for those who who criticize us and to be close to you and and focus on just being faithful to you. But Father, we thank you as well that even in a passage like this, we have this beautiful picture of the gospel. That just as there was that sacrifice for Miriam, so there was for us. And I pray for the man or woman or the young person who's here today who has never called upon Jesus as Savior and Lord, that this would be the day that they receive him and place their faith in his sacrifice for our sin upon the cross. God, I plead with you this morning that you'd knock on the door of their hearts that today Christ would come in and be Lord of all. Help all of us, Lord, to take everything that we've read and everything we've learned and really apply it to our lives and not just be hearers, but be doers as well. And we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I realize this is one of those messages that will apply to different people in different ways at different times, but I pray it's been uh, a blessing. Let me say, for those of you who are here today, uh, if there's never been that moment where you placed your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us, uh, I pray this would be that day that you would not wait or delay. Today's the day of salvation. I'm going to be standing here at the front and in a moment when the service is over. Uh, I'll be here ready to meet you, to pray with you, uh, to encourage you. If there's a step uh, that you need to take, a decision you need to make, uh, a commitment, whatever that is, you come, let me know. We'll pray together. Uh, for those of you that are watching online, you as well, uh, please let us know. Send a text message to that number that's on the screen, 786-600-2829. Click on that link uh, as well. You've got the connection card there attached to your bulletin. Fill that out. You can drop it off in the uh, offering boxes here in the sanctuary. And that would mean so much to us uh, if you would do that. But especially if you're here and you uh, know that you need to follow Christ and you want to receive him today as Savior and Lord of your life. Don't wait another day. Uh, you, You come and let's settle that even before you leave this place here this morning.